Well, let's read in our Bibles, John chapter 1, verse 19, and let's, let's get into this message this morning. It's entitled, The Cosmic Trial, John 1, 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, Nope. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but... He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, On whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The motif here is one of a divine or a cosmic trial. John the Baptist is the first of four witnesses we're going to hear from today. Four. We're going to hear from John the Baptist. We're going to hear from Andrew. We're going to hear from Philip. And we're going to hear from Nathaniel. And even broader, this cosmic trial motif captures the entire book of John because the first 12 chapters of John give us testimony. God himself bringing evidence to bear. That evidence is called, they're called signs. In two weeks, Jose Prado is going to preach on the first of those signs. When Jesus turned gallons and gallons and gallons of water into wine. Oh yes, that's a nice sign, don't you think? At the wedding of Cana. And we're going to look at the evidence that God assembles down through the chapters of John 1 to 12 and the witnesses that God assembles. And these 
evidences and these signs, they're going to begin with the wedding at Cana and they're going to end when the last piece of evidence is presented when Jesus raises someone from the dead. I know some of you this morning may feel like you need to be raised from the dead. Some of you look like you need to be raised from the dead. But this guy was really dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. So a cosmic trial motif. So would you enter with me into the courtroom for a moment? Let me bring a little bit of humor to you as we enter the courtroom to get you ready for a court, cosmic court. This is entitled Judge Not. A small town prosecuting attorney called his first witness to the stand in a trial. A grandmotherly, elderly woman. He approached her and he asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat, you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you will never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Williams, do you know the defense attorney? She replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster. I used to babysit for him. And he, too, has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy. He has a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. At this point, the judge wrapped the courtroom to silence and called both the counselors to the bench. In a very quiet voice, he leaned forward with menace and he said, if either of you ask her if she knows me, you'll be jailed for contempt. (laughs) So there we have a witness who is testifying of something that people really don't want to hear, though it's the truth. In the Gospel of John, you'll find something curious. You do not find in the Gospel of John the record of Jesus' trial before the Jewish high priest Caiaphas or the Sanhedrin. You do not find that record. The reason why is this. The entire book is one trial where God is bringing forth testimony, evidence, witnesses who are speaking things that the leaders of that day don't want to hear and quite frankly none of us want to hear because they crucified him and we would have as well had we been there. But they're speaking the truth in a cosmic trial of cosmic importance for you and for me. That's what the Gospel of John is all about. That's the backdrop upon which this book comes into focus. It's it's like John the Evangelist, who is different from John the Baptist, whom we will be 
introduced to in a moment. John the Evangelist, he presents this account, the entire gospel, as if his readers were witnessing a trial scene where the evidence for and against Jesus is being sent forth, set forth for them to evaluate. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first six days of a three and a half year trial. It began somewhere around the summer or fall of the year A.D. 29, and it ended somewhere around May of A.D. 33 with the crucifixion of Christ. Today, we're going to look at the first six days of that trial. Very important days. By the way, on the seventh day of Jesus' ministry, he turned the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. Please remember what Corey taught you last week, that the gospel doesn't begin with Jesus in Bethlehem. The gospel begins with Jesus at creation. So you have here, very intentionally, by John the Evangelist, the author of this gospel, a picture of creation. So let's take a look at the first six days of Jesus' ministry, the first six days of the trial, and let's see what it speaks to us. Because what God wants to speak to you this morning is this. He wants you to see Jesus for who he really is. He wants you to believe the testimony of his witnesses. And he wants you to bring others to meet Jesus Christ. If you will look in your notes, that is the main statement. What we call the propositional statement. That is God's burden for you this morning. That you would believe the testimony of God's witnesses. That you would bring others to meet Jesus. Jesus Christ. So let's introduce the first witness, shall we? The first witness to take the stand this morning is John the Baptist. It's interesting. The present interrogation of John the Baptist by the Pharisees is very reminiscent of a courtroom scene. So day one of the trial begins in verse 19. John 1.19 says the following, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Kind of like the attorney said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? (laughs) This time they were saying, Who are you, John the Baptist? Why did they ask John who he was? Because John was doing something that carried tremendous authority with it. John was baptizing people, and not just anybody. John was baptizing Jews for the cleansing of sin. Here's the problem. Jews didn't have sin. It was the Gentiles that needed to be baptized. So John, who gave you the authority to go to the river and baptize good Jewish people for the, the, for the forgiveness of their sins? Who are you, John? And what's the first thing that John says? Well, I'm not the Christ. Look at that, verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. Why would John have said that? Because in first century Israel, they were waiting for the Christ. Now the Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. But the Messiah they were waiting for is not the Messiah you and I know. It wasn't the suffering servant who came to die for the sins of Israel. The Messiah they were waiting for was a glorious king coming to boot the Romans out of Israel. 
They were looking for like a super David, right? 900 years earlier, King David was the warrior king. That's what they were looking for. So they said, okay, are you the Messiah? No, not the Messiah. Okay, let's start going down the line then. What do they ask him next? Verse 21, what then? Are you Elijah? Why did they ask him if he was Elijah? Like, where did these guys get these questions from? You know, like, hi, are you Elijah? Why would they ask that? Well, here's why. Did you know that Elijah was the only person in the Bible to never have done something that everyone else has done? Actually, there's probably two. But we won't mention the other guy. I could feel you, Corey, over there. What did Elijah not do? That's right. You're so smart. Elijah never died. So the Jews believed that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of Messiah, the day of the super David to come and kick the Romans out, guess who's going to come to announce the Messiah? Elijah. Come down on his chariot, chariots of fire. Hi, I'm Elijah. The Messiah will be with you in just a moment. Thank you very much. Off he goes. Okay, so you must be Elijah, right? Because you're baptizing people that you shouldn't be baptizing for sins that, like, we're not sinners. The dirty Gentiles are sinners. We baptize them. So you've got to be Elijah, right? And he goes, nope. Now, what's interesting is later on, Jesus is going to call him Elijah as a type, but he's not literally Elijah. Okay? So they flip through the, uh, the, the pages here. Here's the script. Okay, we know who you are. Second half of verse 21. Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? Now, who's the prophet that he's speaking of? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, by the way, you can just jot this down in your notes so you can study this later. Malachi 4.5, Malachi, M-A-L, Malachi 4.5 is where it speaks of Elijah coming before the great day of the Lord. And then just jot this down. Deuteronomy 18. Moses says that before this great day of the Lord, the day of Messiah, there's going to be a prophet who comes like me. A prophet, but greater than me. So they say, you must be the prophet. And he says, no, I'm not. So, so they go, okay. Verse 22, who are you? Because we need to know. We need to go back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? In verse 23, here comes God's answer. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. You see that in your notes? That passage was written specifically to declare what would happen when Israel, in 510 to 512 B.C., would come back from captivity from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, And it was literally to make straight the desert holes and ravines that they're going to travel back to Jerusalem, the place of God. But God says, I may have given that prophecy to Isaiah to talk about Israel coming back from captivity in Babylon, which is always a picture of the world, to Jerusalem, which is always the picture of my place. But I'm telling you now, I'm today fulfilling that scripture because spiritually my people need to be coming back from a place of captivity and where they're far away from God to the place of Jerusalem where God is. And this morning, friend, some of you are living in Babylon, cursed, in bondage, 
And God, God wants to make a way for you to go from there back to Jerusalem, the place where you can receive God's blessing and his presence. For some, that's salvation. For some, it's simply repentance. For some, it's just your hearts are dry and God wants to refresh them. That's what's happening this morning as well. So don't miss that, okay? Don't miss that. Okay? So John the Baptist tells them what he's doing. The Jews say, okay, let me ask you a question, John. Verse 24, because they'd been sent from the Pharisees. In verse 25, then why are you baptizing? You got to understand their mentality. Verse 25 says, if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, You have no right to baptize Jews. Who are you to tell us we need a savior in that sense? We have the law. We have the prophets. How dare you baptize people that are already saved? They missed it. Because John answers in verse 26, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. In verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The one thing that not even a servant did for his master was untie his sandal. It was below even a servant. John says, the one coming after me is so great that I'm not even worthy to do something that servants aren't allowed to do, which is untie the sandal. Do you consider Jesus that great this morning? Do you? I think that's the point. Well, that ends day one of our testimony. Everyone goes home. Day two, verse 29. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Day one, John the Baptist meets with his interrogators, the prosecuting attorneys, to discuss who he is. Day two, John the Baptist meets with his Lord to testify who he is. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This word for lamb, omnas, in the Greek, is a term that we may be familiar with in Isaiah 53, 7, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jot that down, Isaiah 53, 7. But to the Jewish mind, this didn't make any sense. The Messiah isn't a lamb. He's a lion. The Messiah isn't a suffering servant. He's a conquering king. And today we can say, yes, He's both. Back then, they couldn't. They had no idea of the lamb. They had no idea of the suffering servant. You know what they saw a lamb as? The lamb was the sacrifice that you made to prepare your heart for the Messiah to come. Because the lamb cleansed you, therefore you could receive Messiah. What they missed, and John was introducing, is, no, Messiah is the lamb. And he's the lion. He's the suffering servant, and he's the conquering king. They missed it. Have we missed it? Have we missed it? He doesn't stop there. He then continues. 
Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I myself did not know him. Really? John the Baptist didn't know Jesus. Is that accurate? I thought they were cousins. I thought Mary visited her, her, um, her whatever she was, Elizabeth, when she was pregnant. Oh, John the Baptist knew Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. And some of you, some of you know Jesus, and you don't know Jesus. He grew up with them. He had no idea who he grew up with. And, and by the way, he didn't find Jesus. You don't find Jesus. Jesus was right next to him all his life. The Bible says that God revealed to him, when you go out there baptizing, the whole reason you're baptizing is, A, to really irritate the Pharisees because, you know, they're so self-righteous. But B, as you baptize, and how many people did he baptize? I don't know. We're going to baptize five people today, but... Can you imagine he's baptizing? And you know what he's thinking the whole while he's baptizing him? Okay, John, don't miss the sign. The one upon whom the Spirit descends and remains. That's what Scripture says. He's the one. Can you imagine his shock when Jesus walks up? What are you doing here? Oh, you'll see in a moment. (laughs) I've known you for 30 years, but... There's a little secret that you don't know. I'm God. Can you imagine John? He's baptizing his cousin. Spirit descends, remains on him. Other, other, the other gospels say, this is my beloved son. You know Jesus in your head? You don't know Jesus. You don't know him here. You know what? You'll never know him unless he reveals himself to you because John would have never known Jesus unless God had revealed himself to him. Unless God said, I'm going to give you the sign. He would have missed him. Oh, but when you know him like that, follow him. Repent. Bow your hearts to him. We're going to see in a moment what that means. Believe. Believe the testimony of John the Baptist. That's what it says here in Scripture. Verse 32, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and have borne witness, this is the Son of God. He's not only the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, but he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He gives you life. The Holy Spirit regenerates you from a dead enemy of God into a living friend of God. And he's the Son of God. He's the Chosen One. We sang about that this morning. He's the Lamb of God. John bears witness. And in verse thirty. He says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Dear friends, 
John was born to bear witness to Jesus Christ in a unique manner. None of us are John the Baptist. But we too have been born again to bear witness to the Son of God. You see, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to really know Jesus, not just intellectually know Jesus, but know Jesus and believe in him, if you're going to believe, then you must bring. Because that's what we see in the text. As we move to day three, we see that God calls us to believe the witnesses he's assembled and then to bring our family and our friends, to bring others to Jesus Christ. Look at day three as it begins. Verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, some people say, we're going to find out in a moment who one of them was, Andrew. Some people say John the evangelist, the one who wrote this gospel, is the other disciple. But he's being humble, so he's not saying it's him. Okay? So John the Baptist has two disciples. Andrew, quite probably John the, ba- John the evangelist. And Jesus walks by. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So now they know Jesus. And now they begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following. And he said to them, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we just transitioned at the end of verse 39 from day three because it was the 10th hour. They're going to go to sleep now. They're going to rest and eat. And now verse 40, we're transitioning into the fourth day. So what do you do when you follow Jesus, when you believe God's witness, when you believe God's testimony? What do you do? Verse, Verse 40, you go and bring someone to meet Jesus Christ. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And then John helps those of us who are Gentiles, which means Christ. You understand that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is the title of who he is. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus, the Jews thought, the reigning king, the one who's going to kick Rome out, the conquering super David, what they missed at that moment was also the suffering servant, the lamb of God, Jesus, the lion, the lamb, the suffering king, the conquering king. We found them. Peter, we found them. And what does Peter do? He comes with his brother Andrew, verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He looks at Peter and he says, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. He immediately changes his name. Now what's that a picture of? Salvation. We become Christians. He changes our name. He changes our identity. Now, I don't believe Peter was saved at that moment. I don't believe that happened there at that point. But it certainly was looking to the future. When we come and we bring people to Jesus, say, would you meet Jesus? We don't change them, but Jesus does. You know what? You were called Simon. You're not going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. I'm changing you, you old burly fisherman. You're going to become a fisher of men. You're going to become my chief apostle. 
that great news? That great news? That's what God calls us to do. God calls us to go and bring people, and that's exactly what happens. Andrew brings Peter, and he declares Jesus is the Messiah. Now, let's go to day five of the testimony. So we've had Andrew testify. Day five, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, so they might have known each other. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So witness number three steps to the witness stand. This is now Philip. And he says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about. This is the guy. This is the one. And he introduces us to witness number four, Nathaniel. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Hmm. Nathanael, verse 49, says, Whoa, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Witness number four. He testifies, the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because you, I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here's the end of day six, actually. So they they believed who Jesus was and then they brought family and friends to meet Jesus. That's the second point. When you see who Jesus is, when you believe who Jesus is, then you bring your family and friends to meet Jesus. I love the fact that Andrew believed John's testimony and he brought his brother Peter to meet Jesus. I love the fact that Philip believed Jesus' testimony and he brought his friend Nathaniel to meet Jesus Christ. Isn't it great to have a Nathaniel as a friend? Nathaniel represents that guy and says, can anything good come of the church? Can anything good come of religion? Can anything good come from that church? That's what Nathaniel was saying. What's going to come of Nazareth? That's a loser place, man. Okay, I'll come anyways. Philip had faith to bring his friend to see Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus, he saved him. He brought him to himself. Nathaniel confessed who he was. Will you believe John's testimony? Will you believe Andrew's testimony? Will you believe Philip's testimony? Will you believe Nathaniel's testimony? Will you believe God's witnesses and bring your family and friends to Jesus? Will you take that stand? That's the burden of the message this morning. That's that's really the application of this message this morning. Before you can bring someone, that testimony has to be your testimony. You've got to not only say, oh, I know Jesus, but I believe. Not just here, but here. I have a testimony. And therefore, if I have a testimony, I go and I give that testimony. I believe that's what God is asking us to do this morning. Now, application. This is the most important part of this message. Otherwise, all this message is, is a theological class And it's good to have theology, 
but it must be married with our practical application. Here's what I believe God's burden is for us today, church. I believe it's for us to believe and to bring. And in order to bring, I believe there needs to be a focus. And so I'm going to introduce to you a focus. And that focus is our Resurrection Sunday, or as our culture calls it, our Easter Sunday service. Do you know that Easter Sunday is in four weeks? It's April the 12th. It's in four weeks. So what I'm asking us to do is to believe the testimony, God's testimony, God's witnesses of who Jesus is, and then to bring others to him. How can we do that? Well, number one, you should have received at your seat two things. And ushers, if you could be ready to hand these out if we need to hand them out. You should have received two things. You should have received a Palm Vista Easter prayer card. If you did not receive one of these, we are anxious to get one into your hands. They should have been on the seat, so if you find one on a seat around you, that's for you. Love, like every individual to have one. Every individual to have one. Okay? Palm Vista prayer card. If you do not have one, reach over and grab one. And also, you should have received these life invitation cards. Life invitation cards. What I'd like to ask you to do, just keep your hands up. Ushers, if you could pass those out. Some folks down here as well need some. What I'd like you to do to apply this message is on this prayer card, I'd like you to list five people in your relational network for whom you will pray and whom you will invite to our Easter service using one of these life cards. Okay, so raise your hands if you need more life cards. Raise your hand if you need a prayer list. I think we need a prayer list down here. So if you would write down the names of five people that you would be praying for and then inviting to our Easter service on April the 12th, I think that's a step of application. Keep this in your Bible. Put it up on your refrigerator. Ask God. Say, Lord, I, I believe the witnesses you've assembled in the Gospel of John. Now help me to bring people to Jesus. It's interesting. As soon as someone believes in Jesus they immediately go and bring people. If you're not bringing people, do you really believe? I, th I think that's a great question to ask. There's a scripture here that's on your prayer card. I love this passage. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the Easter season. Here's the question. How can we make the best use of the time? How can we fulfill this this scripture that tells us to pray and to share? How can we fulfill God's burden from John 1, 19 to 51? If, if you believe God's testimony, God's witnesses, you'll bring people. Well, we can use something that the culture already identifies as the one time of the year when people are going to go to church. April the 12th this year, it's Easter Sunday. Let's use it. Let's seize that opportunity. Let's write the names down. Let's pray and let's fast. Let's fast. That's the second bullet there. Actually, the third one. Fast a meal 
and spend that time praying. Or fast your favorite program and spend that time praying for those whom you can invite to our Easter service. Now, if you've never fasted before, simply that, that just means you do without something that you would normally partake in. A lot of times it's a food, it's a meal, and instead of just not eating that meal, you would then go pray. It could be a lunchtime. Go out into the park and walk and pray. You know, between now and Easter, four Sundays. Pray for those on your list. Pray for our Easter service. Also, we'd like to call a a corporate fast on April the 10th. That's Good Friday. Consider fasting all day. And again, if you've never done that, certainly would want you to talk and get wisdom with others. If you have medical situation, talk with a physician. But you know what? Most of us could go without a little food for a day, you know. And then pray as much as you can that day. And here's an idea. Consider breaking your fast with a meal that evening. And why not make it dinner and a movie? And why not make it the movie The Passion? Passion of the Christ. If you don't have it, it'd be a great movie to purchase. Why don't you invite some family and friends over and watch that movie. Seize the opportunity. It's Easter. Might as well watch a movie about the passion on Easter. Hey, it's a great movie. You want to come over and watch it? Sure. Let's have a nice meal. I'm going to be really hungry. Great. And then turn, when the movie's over, pray, pray. And maybe God will allow you to open your mouth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe God will choose that moment to give them true faith in Christ like he gave Nathaniel, like he gave Philip, like he gave Peter. Okay? All right, then number two, the personal evangelism, which really has flown from, f- flowed from this last point. Utilize the life cards. These are great. Just pass these out. Invite people, particularly with an emphasis on April the 12th. Hey, come on with me to April the 12th. It's Easter Sunday. We're going to have a great service. God is going to be speaking to us about life, resurrection life. Here's a second thing that let me invite you to, to consider. Participate under personal evangelism there with your family on our April 11th Servant Outreach. On that Saturday from, two, from 10 to 2, we're going to gather at the church office and we're going to kind of divide up into two teams. The first team is going to pass out free water and with these cards right there at the Palmetto and Ludlam. There's, a, there's an intersection there where a lot of cars stack up because of the traffic lights and just the, the number of people in, that are in this area. We're just going to go along and just, hey, free water. Hey, here's an invitation card. Why don't you come tomorrow? It's Easter. We'd love to see you. We're going to talk about life. Where is yours headed? Would you like to find out what the author of life says about yours? And then the other part of the team is going to go out and and put the door hangers on. Many of you have done that. Why don't you come on out? Bring your family. What a great thing to do with your children, to teach them about inviting folks to meet Jesus Christ. And then finally, let me ask you to consider reading the Passion Narrative. What's the Passion Narrative? All that is, it's the narrative about Jesus' final week of his life. So pick a gospel, read the Passion Narrative, Do that between now and Easter. Make that a part of your quiet time. Well, folks, next week I had the great joy of preaching to you the Passion Narrative. We've chosen to do that just to bring it freshly in our hearts. I hope as well next week to share with you a couple of other ideas on outreaches that we can do, that you can do in your neighborhood, that you can do with family and friends. But right now let's pray. Let's ask God to give us grace. Please bow your heads in prayer. Ask the worship team to join me up front here. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning 
to preach your good news. Lord, thank you that our call as believers is to believe the witnesses that you have gathered to testify of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us as a church the grace to seize this season as a special opportunity to bring our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers to the Easter Sunday service, April the 12th. Lord, you can bring them anytime you want. We will invite them to come every Sunday. But, oh, Father, what an opportunity when so many are already considering their plans for Easter. Lord, may we provide some leadership. May we provide faith. May we believe you. And then may we bring others to you, Jesus. And may you give them life. And may you be glorified. And may this Resurrection Sunday, may this Easter be a glorious day. Lord, I I pray for my own family members, my neighbors, for years. Lord, I have prayed for them. Lord, I pray this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, would be the Sunday that you would give them life, eternal life. Lord, I pray that, and I thank you. Thank you for the grace to invite them to come meet you. In Jesus' name, amen.